How are we doing, church? You don't even have to answer that. I can tell because I was out here worshiping with you, and um, you were leaning in right there. And the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Amen? Amen. And I just love what I just felt and sensed in this room, and we are, uh, we are seeing God do something special in these days. I want to welcome you. If you're new, and I'm noticing a lot of first-time guests around here, if you're new here, my name is Benji. I get the awesome privilege to serve on the team around here, so welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, can you help me welcome all of the campus locations, those of you who are online? So we start a series today, and I, I just want to go ahead and let you know, this one is deeply personal for me. Um, this one has been brewing inside of me for 18 months. And I believe sometimes you can't really teach something until you've learned it. And uh, I actually don't think we've been ready yet as a church to receive it until now. Um, but I'm really, really hopeful about the series that we're about to go into. Uh, this ain't leftovers, beloved. This is fresh. This is fresh straight from the salty kitchen of 2020. And 2021, sister, I'm going to serve it up. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. And so I just want to encourage you not to miss a single Sunday. And you might say, okay, well, when's it going to end? I don't know. <laughs> I ain't lying. Listen, I've decided. I, I didn't give them an end date on this one. We'll end this one when we're done. We'll end this one when God's done. And uh, it's called Red Sea Rules. Everybody say Red Sea Rules. And this comes out of the last 18 months that we have had together as a church family, as a world. We've all been living into uh, this reality, this new normal, if you will. Just, just push pause for a moment and hit rewind. And go back to um, New Year's Eve, 1999, about to step in 2020. I ain't even started yet. They said, wow, yeah, yeah. Like, you remember how excited we were? Ooh, 2020, everybody got so excited. Businesses and churches alike started playing off of 2020. Oh, 2020, we can have 2020 vision. And then we got wide-eyed with excitement, anticipation, and it was gonna be awesome. And then COVID sucker punched us all. Remember that? Remember that? And, and we even sent a group. We were so excited about the year 2020. We sent a group of new hopers to Kenya to hike up Mount Kenya. They, and I still salute these sojourners. They went to Kenya, and then they hiked up the second highest mountain in Kenya. They hiked up 36 miles and did this amazing hike, and it was to raise funds for our Hope Center over there and, and our campus over there in Kenya, and it was awesome. But just as soon as they touched back down at RDU, it wasn't soon thereafter. They came from the mountaintop experience, literally, to the wheels touching down at RDU, and we started hearing the rumblings of COVID-19. And it has changed absolutely everything, right? I can think of another mountain experience, Matthew 17. No need to turn there, but in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain. And there, if you look at verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that Jesus' face started to shone like dazzling white and glory. The Shekinah glory, if you will, came over Jesus. And then, do you remember, Moses and Elijah showed up, and, 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 and it was amazing, and Peter, old Peter, Peter, the guy who always has this unbelievable propensity for sticking both feet in his mouth at the same time, <laughs> Peter, Peter doesn't listen, he just speaks, and so Peter goes, oh, Lord, this is incredible. I got an idea, Lord, what if I pitch a tent 
Come on, how many of you, when you're in a mountaintop experience, you just want to stay there? No one wants to come down off a mountaintop experience. And Peter's like, let's just pinch a tent. Let's just hang out here for a while. And Jesus sees what is happening, and Jesus starts to correct him. And in verse 11, chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus starts to tell them what is to come. To be sure, Jesus said, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man, which was a name for Jesus, in the same way the Son of Man is going to, help me out, church is going to what? Suffer. Say it a little bit louder like, you, like you've lived through it. It's going to what? Suffer, Suffer at their hands. So while they are literally and physically up on a mountaintop experience, Jesus says, we got to come down off this mountain. And when we come down off this mountain, I'm going to have to suffer. I, I mentioned just a few minutes ago that this series has been brewing deep inside of me. I want to lead us into a series that, that I really think is very timely for the church. When I look at the church universal, I, I struggle with many things. And one of the things I struggle with in the church is poor theology. And one of the things that has happened in the church is that we have taught, pastors like me have taught people like you, and even if we haven't meant to, or even if we say we don't subscribe to it, we sometimes can buy into it, and it is this thing called the prosperity gospel. And it's that if you just accept Jesus into your heart, and you follow him, then your life is going to be like one glorious walk in a park on a beautiful day like today. And you're going to get to tiptoe through the daisies all your life until you get before God one day and he's going to say, come on in. I'm so glad you had a glorious life. <laughs> and it's poor theology. It's poor theology. And, and what it does to people, some, I'm reading your mail, some of you are going, dude, he is all up in my stuff. What it has done to some of you because you bought into it is that theology has shaped you. Then you lived in the real world like I do. And you realize life is hard. Life is challenging. Life will sucker punch you. Relationships fail. Politicians do things we shouldn't think they're going to do. Whatever side you're on the aisle, baby, don't go there. And life and, 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 and military pullouts of countries and COVID and this. And you realize the real world. And then you can't actually mesh. You can't reconcile the theology from which you're working out your life to the reality of which you're living. And what is happening today is that many people are deconstructing the faith and because they can't reconcile what they've been taught and the reality of life on planet earth, they walk away from God. I will say so. I love you. You're going to be with me all day today, you and me, <laughs> you and me. And it's detrimental. It's eternally damaging to one soul, it's very, very important that we get this right. And so I'm gonna teach you some things today that some of you are sitting there going, I, I, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what reality bears out in my life. Not some, not some preacher with big hair on TV preaching you some prosperity gospel telling you to send in your money and when you do, ha, I'm gonna send you a sweat rag and because I'm gonna send you a sweat rag, ha, your life is gonna be good and ha, you ain't ever gonna have any hardships. And you go to the mailbox and you get your little sweat cloth and you think everything's going to be fine and then life blows up on you. 
bad theology. Damaging theology. So open up your Bibles to Exodus 14. Exodus 14. Exodus 14. Now, Exodus, if you bring your Bible to church, and the great thing about this series is you can go and have your Bible marked to the book of Exodus. So you don't have to worry about whether you can find it, or I see so many on your phones and your tablets, which is perfectly fine. But bring your Bible, you can have it marked to Exodus, and when I say turn to Exodus, you can go, bam, look at me. I know right where that is. Well, it's the second book of the Bible. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible. And Exodus is about, well, the Exodus. And it's an amazing book. And, and, and what, what we're reading, we're reading about the fact that ancient Israel, which I will refer, refer to them as that in this series, ancient Israel, God's chosen people, have been in bondage for 430 years. How long? Guys, we wig out over 18 months. And they've been in brutal conditions for 430 years. Life was hard. Generation after generation after generation, they're struggling. On top of that, then the plagues started to hit. You remember the plagues? Remember the plagues? You, you got the plagues of the frogs. Ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. Then you had the, the plague of the gnats. Like, I don't know about you. When I get to heaven one day, I'm going to say, God, what's up with the gnats, man? What's up, what's up with the gnats, dude? I won't say dude to God, but you know what I'm saying. Or, or the flies. They had the plague of the flies. Bzzz. The plague of the darkness. They had the plagues of hell. Not H-E-L-L, but H-A-I-L. Like get your car in the garage, if you know what I'm saying. All these plagues, 430 years, guys, it was hard. Which makes this part of Scripture so incredibly relevant for us. That's why we're going to camp out on the banks of the Red Sea for the entire month of October, maybe a little bit longer. Don't miss a single Sunday. We're going to pick up today in verse 1, 1 through 4 in Exodus 14. If you love the word of the Lord, let me hear you say amen. amen. And I love you and love that you are into this today. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharoth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think, remember Pharaoh was the one who, who, Pharaoh's regime, he was the one who was oppressing them. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in what? There's a lot of confusion in our land today. And confusion hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain, I will gain what? I will gain what? I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now, what's really, really important is that you understand the geography of what is going on here. Let me show you a map. Here's a map of uh, this part of the world. This is the Holy Land over here, but I want you to let your mind's eyes start right over here in Egypt. This is where they had been in bondage for 430 years. They're up here in Gosham. They start to move down. When God decides to deliver them from Pharaoh and they're on their way to the promised land, what do you think is the best way to get to the promised land? Hard turn to the left. Right there. But instead, God, who? 
God, not some man who is afraid to ask for directions. Well, guys, you know we're guilty. You need to give that up. Seriously, dude. You just put your pride down. I will ask, ask my kids. I will ask for directions in a heartbeat. Number one, I get to meet somebody. Might, might get to see somebody come to New Hope, come to faith in Christ. And number two, time is too valuable to me. I ain't going to ride around lost when I can ask somebody. Guys, you need to get over that. And I, I got a feeling we probably got some women up in here who, who want to ask for directions. Women, come on. Don't follow our lead there. They, so so um, God could have sent them right here, but God sends them right down here to where they have to cross the Red Sea. Then, because Moses would not stop and ask for directions, they went over here in the wilderness and camped out for 40 years. 40 years. Finally, got up here to Mount Nebo, and you might recall this part of the Old Testament, but Moses, after leading them all this time, could not even go into the promised land. He got up on top of Mount Nebo. I've stood there. It's amazing. You can see as far from the right to the left, you can see the entire promised land. Moses has been on this long journey, gets up to the top of Mount Nebo, and God says, you're done. And Moses can't even go in. But that's a sermon for another day. They come right here to the Red Sea, and they're on the banks of the Red Sea. This is where we're living for the next month. Now, if you're a visual learner, you like that, and you might like a video. I want to show you a video from a movie clip. The good news is it's a video clip of the Old Testament. The bad news is <laughs> it's a movie clip of the Bible from a Western perspective. I know, and if you've seen these, you know, but this one's actually pretty good. This is the famous Ten Commandments. Y'all remember that? We've all seen that. They actually do a pretty good job of reenacting it, except they got every mug up in there who was white. <laughs> and FYI, Moses was not white. FYI, hate to break it to some of you, Jesus wasn't white. Sorry. He surely wasn't that California dude in the Sunday school class that you grew up with. <laughs> Long brown, suntan, got a suntan going, blue eyes. <laughs> it wasn't Jesus, man. But if you're a visual learner, this is actually a pretty cool reenactment of Exodus 14. Check it out. A trap. You've led us into a trap. What kind of leader are you? You'll have us killed. All Enough! Of
I say witchcraft! No. It's the only way to escape. My favorite point in the, the clip there is when the dude goes, witchcraft. <laughs> now, there is no way for me to overstate the importance of the, of the part of Scripture that we are studying over the course of the next month. In the Old Testament alone, the, the, the battle at the Red Sea and the division of the Red Sea and ancient Israel being able, to, being able to go through on dry land is mentioned at least a dozen times in the Old Testament. Now, if you're a note taker, here's where you really want to lean in or get ready to take a picture on the screen. I want to give you the Red Sea rule number one. And each week as we unpack Scripture, I'm going to give you a different rule. And this is so important because you got to remember, who led them down to the Red Sea? God, it's not, a, it's not a test question, it's not a trick question. God led them down in, in a kind of divine GPS system. Take a right here, take a left here, go down. God led them. But if you will digest this Red Sea rule number one, it will cause you to avoid a theological conundrum, again, that is causing people to deconstruct their faith and either walk away from God blatantly or live in this relationship with God where they are highly disappointed in God. And the truth is, I don't know why I feel led to say this right now. Just camp out here for a moment. Some of you are here, and you're here because you know you need to be here. You're here. You want to have a relationship with God because you know you need to have a relationship with God, and you know the world is a mess, but you are highly disappointed with God. Life has not turned out as you wanted it to, which is why this rule is so important. Red Sea rule number one, a critical part of maturing as a follower of Jesus is realizing that God means for me to be right where I am at this moment of time. Leave that up there, please. Right where you are. Good times or bad times. Rainy days or gorgeous, crisp fall days like we have unfolding in the Carolinas today. Troubled waters or peaceful waters. Relationships good, relationships crumbling. God, everybody say God. God wants you to be right there, right now, at such a time as this. And you say, well, I don't like that, I'm sorry. But it sure is better than thinking that everything is gonna be rosy and then the reality of life smacks you upside the head. Now, I put, it in, I put it in language so that it fits you reading it personally. Read this out loud with me. Ready, church? Come on, everybody online, go. A critical part of maturing as a follower of Jesus is realizing that God means for me to be right where I am at this moment of time. Oh, my. That changes 
everything. Maturing as a Christ follower is to realize that absolutely nothing, hello, catches God off guard. Did you know that? <laughs> like, 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 God, like, like, dude, God didn't, God didn't get into like March of 2020 and go, well, dang. <laughs> Never saw that coming. Nothing catches God off guard. And he has allowed us to enter into a hard season. He either allows it or he brings it. Either way, he is in the midst of it all. In other words, I say it like this in my notes. There is a purpose to the pain. There is a promise in the pain. And there is a plan unfolding in the pain. Let that settle in to the, to the water table of your soul today. The church is in dire need for a healthy theology of suffering. We, we, we've done a bad job in the church of teaching you about suffering. And for that, I'm sorry. Like this is a series really about being able to, to learn how to mature in the faith so that I can hold hope and hurt together. Hope and hurt. If you're online, just type that in. Hope and hurt. Part of being a mature Christ follower is to never lose hope. But realize that in the midst of a world that is hurting, where I'm hurting, I can actually learn to handle both. When we find ourselves in the midst of a raging battle, even when there seems to be no way out, we must realize that God means for us to be exactly where we are. Watch this. This will blow your mind. It is not like they just ended up there by the Red Sea. We're in chapter 14. Uh, go, go back one chapter. This is going to blow your mind. Go back to chapter 13. Chapter 13, 17 and 18. Oh, my. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was what? So God did not lead them through the shortest route, for God said... If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt, went up out of Egypt, ready for the battle. Do you see it? God sent them into this battle. And instead of always praying that God would remove you from the battle, maybe we should start accepting that God has us in the battle for a reason and he wants to develop my character and my integrity. And as Peter would say in the New Testament, I think it's chapter one, verse seven, somewhere around there, he talks about that, that God refines us in the fire. So instead of talking to God about your problems, maybe you ought to talk to your problems about how big God is. And let God move in the midst of it all. I like how C.H. McIntosh put it. The sea was before them. Pharaoh's hosts behind them. And the mountains around them. Now watch this. All of this being observed, permitted, and ordered of God. This is a theological framework that you must settle in your soul or you will live your life so discouraged with God. 
and you will live your life so defeated from the hardships of life because life is hard. I've always said it is beautiful and it is brutal. And we've been in a brutal season. But could it be? God has us here for a reason. The Red Sea rule, number one, changes absolutely everything when we start to come to terms with the fact that God has allowed us to enter into this season. And I don't know how your last 18 months have been, but I've shared from this stage many times in the last 18 months. And sometimes online when we didn't even meet for like a long time. We were just online. I shared how hard, brutal, this season has been for your pastor. And I don't know if I would even be able to sit before you today if I hadn't come to terms with the truth that I'm teaching you today. God did not bring COVID, but God allowed COVID. And therefore, God has something for you and something for me to get out of this season. Just Friday, just Friday of this week. Most Fridays, I'm on a Zoom call, 10 a.m., Eastern time, a lot of the guys are not in the Eastern time zone. But every Friday, 10 a.m., I'm on a Zoom call with about 15 pastors from around the country who lead great churches. They're my tribe, they're, they're, we're great friends. And this Friday was a lot like all the other Fridays. All we did was sit around and share, encourage, try to sharpen one another, and come to terms with the season in which we all find ourselves. This season has not escaped any of us. And a critical mark of maturity is that no matter where I go, hello, no matter what life throws my way, if I truly believe, here's a key, key word, if I truly believe in the sovereignty of God, then I can make it through any season life throws my way. Can I just camp out a moment on that word? I know it's a big word, kind of a churchy word, but it really isn't when you think about it. Everybody say Sovereignty. Some of, you, some of you will really eat this up because you know it deep inside of who you are. The sovereignty of God is the same as saying the lordship of God. Stay with me. The sovereignty of God reminds us that one of the benchmark truths about God is that the Lord, who, thank you God, is sovereign over all creation. He is king over everything. Come on, church. The sovereignty of God teaches us that the Lord is always and forever in control of all places, all times, all events, and all people. This is critical. The sovereignty of God is the fact that he is Lord, which means master, he is Lord over all creation. He exercises divine rule. This rule is exercised through God's authority as king. He is in control of all things. I know you look at the world like I do sometimes, and you think, oh, my Lord, it looks like it is out of control. It's out of control because God has given us free will. But make no mistake about it, even though we mess it up, God is still in control. God is still on the throne. God still has ultimate authority and power in my life. Can I get an amen? amen? The Red Sea passage reveals God's sovereign control over all things, specifically over the hearts and the minds of mankind. Now watch this. What it means to endure through times like this is to practice a healthy 
robust theological understanding of Christian patience. Christian what? Patience. Look at what Stephen Charnock put. He said it like this. Godly patience is submission to God's sovereignty. To endure a trial. Watch what he does here now. He's not going to go where you think he is. To endure a trial simply because we cannot avoid it or resist it is not Christian patience. But to humbly submit because it is the will of God to inflict the trial, to be silent because of the sovereignty of God orders it is true godly patience. Now that's a difficult quote. And just looking at you just reminds me, this is a difficult subject. This is challenging stuff, but it's so important. Or again, our faith will crumble and we will live frustrated with God. How many of you, how many of you heard the saying, come on, come on, the best is yet to come? Of course you heard that. If you've been around here, you've heard that. And even if you have been, it's kind of gotten popular in other places too. The best is yet to come. Now, I want to ask a couple sincere questions. How many of you love that phrase? Come on, just, just be honest and own it. The best is yet to come. How many of you love it? Just raise your hand if you like it. All right, hands popping up all over this place. A lot, a lot of hands aren't. How many of you, if you were honest, would say, you kind of struggle with the phrase. You, number one, it's gotten a little old and you're just not sure about it. Show of hands, be honest, you can be honest. All right, this, this service is more honest than the first service. Don't tell them I said that. But, but, but there's more hands popping up. Yes, the reason we all love it is because it's positive and optimistic. The reason we sometimes struggle with it is because it doesn't seem like that's the case. But stick with me here for a moment. That is precisely why Red Sea number one, the rule, is so important. Because we can trust God that in every situation that we find ourselves, we are there either by assignment or appointment, or he's allowed us to go there. Therefore, he's in the midst of it with us. Therefore, he's changing us in the midst of it. And as long as God is on my side, regardless of how bad it gets, the best is yet to come. Amen? Come on. If you, if you believe it, let me hear you. The unmistakable implication of Exodus 13, 17, and 18, and Exodus 14, 1 and 2, is that the Lord took responsibility for leading them into this peril. God gave them specific step-by-step directions that led them into this tumultuous time. But the great news, hello, is that the same God who led them into troubled waters is the same God who will lead us out of troubled waters. Praise his holy name. Here's how I put it in my notes. Jot this down, or like I said, take a picture of it. The process is just as important as the promise. Hello. The process is just as important as the promise. We think about the promise. We think about the promise of there being better days. We think about the promise of eternal life going to heaven. We think about the promise. And what Red Sea Rules wants to teach us is that it is in the process that God does his greatest work. I say it like this. We cannot experience the promises of God 
without enduring the processes of God. My, my. Read that with me. We cannot experience the promises of God without enduring the processes of God. And unfortunately, unfortunately, what sometimes happens is that we get so caught up in looking ahead to the promises of God and we are impatient. Come on, we're being real honest today. How many of you struggle with patience? Like, I do. I put up both hands. I get charismatic on you. Like, I'm like, Lord, give me patience, but hurry the heck up. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We get so caught up in the promises and we grow impatient in the midst of the season that we forget that the process by which God is wanting to transform us in the midst of the hard time that we are living in right now. We grow impatient and we won't stay in the midst of the refining fire long enough for God to do his greatest work. And we are all guilty of that. Like I would have stepped out of the last 18 months way before today. And we're coming out of it. I can feel it. We're coming out of it. Let the church say amen. amen. We are coming out of it. But if I had my way, we would have come out of it in April of 2020. <laughs> A.W. Tozer, the great theologian, said this. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Mama. Again, heavy stuff today. Heavy stuff today. And the problem is, Cara and I were talking about it this week. We were hanging out together at the Durham Bulls baseball game. The problem is, We want the glory of success without the story that it takes to get us there. We we want the glory. We look at somebody and we go, oh, we want want that glory, but you don't want the story that they went through to get there. We, we, We have a tendency to want the praise without the process. And God says, no, 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 no. I'll get the glory, God says. It's mine to get. I'll get the glory and I'll get it from your story. And sometimes your story will be hard and difficult. But if you trust me, I will get the glory through your story. I'll get the praise if you will trust the process. Let me walk with you in the midst of it all. Ah, beloved church, there are some things in life you can't rebuke. You must learn to endure. Weeping may last for the evening, but joy, come on, but joy comes in the morning. But sometimes that evening is long, and there are some things in life you can't just rebuke and declare it to be gone. You must learn to endure. You know what I think is happening in the church today? I think what's happening in the church today is that we are seeing a pruning taking place this is hard stuff but I can go there with you because you are with me every step of the way there's a pruning taking place in the church today I have a rose garden I love roses and um, I, I, I go out and I prune the roses and you know what it takes to prune the roses you gotta have a clipper you gotta have a knife clip clip and it's painful but there's pruning going on in the church today and I believe the church has become addicted to a, to a rosy theology that is not accurate to the biblical narrative. 
I believe the church has become addicted to excitement and everything is just good. No, everything's not always good. Life is hard. And it's about time the church just do business with it. There's a pruning, or as my good friend Sir Angelo, my brother right here, you'll see him up here at the end on, on the base. Sir Angelo Hall said to me the other day, it's not just a pruning, it's a winnowing. When have you used that word? I mean, that's not a word we use every day. Winnowing. Winnowing is the process by which you separate good grain from the chaff. And this pruning and this winnowing that's taking place in the church today, it ain't comfortable, but it's good. It's good. And God is trying to teach us something in the midst of it all. Some things you can't rebuke. Again, you just have to learn to endure. And the, one of the groups of people that have taught us best about enduring in American history is the African-American community throughout the civil rights movement. Remember the old spiritual that so many people sang for so long? We shall overcome. When? We shall overcome someday. I do believe, where? Deep in my heart that we shall overcome someday. Some things you just got to learn to endure. But the problem is, the problem is, too many people quit before the glory. Too many people quit in the process and they miss out on the praise. We got to learn to not give up and don't quit. Oh, I just feel the Holy Spirit leading me. Listen, don't give up on your life. Don't do it. God has you here for a reason. I know it's hard. I know it's dark. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Don't you give up on life. God still woke you up today and breathed into you the breath of life. He's got a purpose for your life. He's got a plan for your life. The best is yet to come. Don't give up and quit on parenting. I know it's hard work. Parenting is not for the faint of heart. It's hard work parenting today. But you remember that Proverbs 22, 6 says, you raise and train a child in the way of the Lord, and when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. Don't you quit. The best is yet to come. Don't you quit on your business model or your vocational dreams or your educational dreams or your athletic dreams. Don't you quit on them. God is in the midst of it all. And with him, the best is yet to come. And in seasons like this, church, you can either get better or you can grow bitter. The choice is yours. And there are a lot of people growing bitter and throwing in the towel. Don't you do it. 
God is in the midst of it all and he is refining you, he's refining me and he's helping us grow and become the church he wants us to be. We'll end with this. You can turn there if you want or you don't have to. If you keep reading in Exodus, you get to Exodus 19. And in Exodus 19, uh, the Bible says that God, this is so good, God led ancient Israel on eagle's wings. Let's read it, in fact. Verses three, three and four, Exodus 19. Ready? Go. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Let's continue. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I... Oh, you sound great. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. What is that all about? What does it mean when when God says, I carried you on eagle's wings? I don't know if you love the the great outdoors. I'm a big fan. I'd rather be outdoors than indoors anytime. I love to hunt and fish. And one of the reasons I love to hunt and fish is because I love the, the great outdoors. And I love the eagle. The eagle is one of the most majestic, amazing birds on the planet. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but Jordan Lake, I'll go out there sometimes in my boat. Jordan Lake has a a part of Jordan Lake that's sanctioned as an eagle reserve. So you go out there and you, with a pair of binoculars, you can see eagles flying around all day long. It's amazing. But I don't know if you've ever thought about the eagle much, but here's here's what an eagle mama will do. An eagle mama is, is a lot like you moms, caring and loving. And the eagle mom will get food for the little eaglets, care for the little eaglets, build the nest for the little eaglets. But then the day will come when the eagle mom decides it's time for the eaglet to fly. Do you know what they do? Have you heard about this? You know what they do? They they grab the eaglet with their claws and the eagles can fly high. They fly as high as they can. And whenever the mom thinks they're high enough, she drops the eaglet. Do you know this? This is, this is for real. And the eaglet starts falling to planet Earth. <laughs> and, and you, I don't know, I have, I've never talked to an eaglet, but I'd imagine, <laughs> I'd imagine their heart starts pounding, right? And their eyes get big because they see the Earth coming at them. And, and, and the, the eagle mom will stay close by, waiting for the eaglet to learn how to fly. And if the eaglet won't fly, guess what the mom will do? She'll swoop up and pick up the little eaglet again. Take the eaglet back to the nest and say, it's okay. No! (laughs) Soars back high again. I know, wow. Drops the eaglet again. And will keep doing that. And usually doesn't take too many times until that little eaglet finally learns to fly and soars. Don't miss this, church. Oh, don't miss this. The Lord bore the Israelites on eagles' wings. When they didn't have water, guess what he did? He gave them water from a rock. When they didn't have food, guess what the Lord did? He swooped down and he gave them manna and quail daily. When they didn't have hope, he gave them hope. When they were surrounded by the chariots and Pharaoh's regime, he delivered them. God is a God 
who will swoop in and carry us, but he lets us go through the fall. He lets us live in the hard, challenging times, but that is where he is best. That is where God swoops in. Listen, no sea of despair is deeper than the ocean of his everlasting love. God is that good, and that is what he wants to teach us today. In other words, the Red Sea rule reminds us, oh my, that as Christians, we should never be surprised when in deeply desiring to do God's will, we find ourselves trapped in painful, frightening, difficult, and seemingly impossible situations. But here's what you need to know today. Here's what I stopped by to make sure you understood in installment one. You are there and God knows it. We are here and God knows it. He sent us into it or he allowed it and therefore he will swoop in and he will redeem us and he will get all the glory and the honor. Long before, long before you have a problem, hello, God has a plan, a purpose, and a promise tailor-made for you. Life is hard. I'm sorry any preachers might have told you otherwise. Life is hard. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, it rains on the just and on the unjust. Especially for Christians, it is hard. We have a determined enemy seeking to devour us. But for the child of God, there is no such thing as an accident or a coincidence. God is always, and I repeat, always in control. He either directs or instructs the events of this world, but in any case, he is sovereign and he has your back in the midst of it all. Which is why Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have what, church? Peace. In this world you will have trouble. But what? Take heart. I have overcome the world. Come on. feel led to say this. Jesus, Jesus said when he was getting close to death, he said, go ahead and destroy this temple. I'm talking about his body. But you destroy this and I will rise again on the third day. Everybody repeat after me. I will, I will. rise again. I will rise again. One more time. I will rise again because I follow a crucified and resurrected Lord who taught me that with him all things are good and the best is yet to come. If you receive it, let me hear you praise the Lord, church. Come on. Come on. Pray with me. Oh, God. I don't know where we would be without your word. I don't know how we would make it through seasons like this without this kind of truth that comes not from a mere mortal, not from this man, but from your word. Father, thank you that you are in control 
When everything seems to be out of control and I don't want myself controlling anything, it is comforting to know that you are sovereign, you are good, you are with me, and you want to transform me in the midst of it all so that when I come through this story, you will get the glory. When I come through this process, as much as I might hate it, you will get the praise that is due your name. So Father, thank you for this series. I can tell you are gonna do something incredibly special in the midst of this. Thank you for teaching us from the Red Sea. Have your way with us, we pray today. We love you, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank <clears throat> you.